0: In 2018, we did a sermon series on brokenness. And if you remember, we took two very large vessels, pots that were ceramic, and they were up here. We had a, an early service and a late service, so we, we literally broke two pots during the service. We had uh, a person who's been a member here for 50 years break one, and we had a young adult break one. And <laughs> Ty says that was me. <laughs> and believe me, he knows how to break something. <laughs> it was... It was very impressive. But I watched um, this image thinking of Don Sherbin breaking that vessel with tears, uh, pounding on that and the sound of it. And it, it was so moving to me because the rest of the series, we took some big shards and we started gluing them together and seeing how the light comes through that broken vessel more clearly than a vessel that's whole. And we sang that song for seven or so weeks and learned that song and sang that song. And I can't sing it without thinking about what a blessing it is to be broken. That seems backwards, doesn't it? All of us are broken. That's such good news for people like us. None of us are whole. None of us are innocent. None of us are perfect. None of us are guiltless. But Jesus came into this world to heal our brokenness. And I think about the miracle of the church with that song. The fact that he takes all these broken pieces and he puts us together in a way that demonstrates his glory. In ways that we wouldn't be able to do if somehow we didn't all share the experience of what it feels like to be busted. So here we are. A bunch of clay pots. (laughs) You can nudge your neighbor and say, That's quite a clay pot. That's quite a pot you got going there. (laughs) Scripture describes your body as a clay pot. What a blessing it is to be among fellow, needy, broken, empty people. Jesus' invitation, oddly, is to come and be broken, it's a willingness to let go. It's a willingness to lose intentionally. And that's what his kingdom is all about. It's to set aside my agenda and my priority for what I think is important in favor of his kingdom, in favor of his priority, in favor of his kingship. And I have to say that invitation is not appealing to everyone, as you would imagine. I'm going to begin this message a little differently. I'm going to read to you a story I read this story by a professor named John Kostler, and it's a rewrite, you'll notice, of one of Jesus' parables. I think you'll recognize it. And it speaks to today's beatitude from Matthew chapter five that I'll read in just a moment. That beatitude is blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. So imagine this story with me as I read it. A businessman decided to throw a party for some of his clients. And because he was doing so well, this businessman spared no expense for the party. He hired the most expensive caterer he could find, and he rented out the meeting room of the finest five star hotel. He paid an army of uniformed waiting staff to serve his guests from gleaming silver trays. Sounds like our Meridian Friends award winning fellowship team, doesn't it? He commissioned an artisan to carve an ice sculpture of swan and had it floating in the Lake of Punch. Engraved invitations were sent out in advance, hand-delivered by special messengers in plenty of time for everyone to clear their calendars. But somehow, when the hour came for the party to begin, the host found himself alone. Not one guest bothered to come, Not even the mayor. After waiting an hour, the host asked his assistant to get the guest list and begin making some phone calls. The first person his assistant called was very apologetic. She said she fully intended to come, but just as she was about to leave for the party, her realtor called to say that that offer she'd placed on a piece of property had been accepted and they needed to close the deal. The woman decided it was only prudent to take one last look at the property before signing the papers. She sincerely hoped the host would understand. The second person the assistant called was also deeply apologetic and a little embarrassed. I really meant to be there, he explained, but yesterday the Toyota dealer called me to let me know that my new hybrid had finally arrived. You wouldn't believe how long the waiting list is for that car. Anyway, the dealer said I could take delivery on the car today. And after waiting six months, why, I had to take it out for a test drive. I was having so much fun showing it off to my friends that the party completely slipped my mind. I'm so sorry. The next person the assistant phoned didn't even bother to apologize. In fact, he was quite abrupt on the phone. He said that he and his wife had just come back from their honeymoon and did not want to be bothered. Turns out they had just had their first fight as a married couple. They were on the verge of making up and they wanted to be alone. It went on like this until the assistant had called every name on the guest list. Everybody, it seems, had some kind of an excuse. When the assistant went back and reported the disappointing news, the host was understandably angry. What was he supposed to do? The hotel was already booked, and the deposit was non-refundable, the food was already prepared, and the ice swan was starting to melt. Suddenly, the host got a flash of inspiration. He remembered that on his way to the hotel, he had passed a group of homeless people. He called his assistant over, Go out there and tell them there's a free meal for them in here, he said. Didn't take long for the word to spread on the street, and soon there was quite a crowd filing sheepishly into the door. But even with these newcomers, there was still plenty of food, and most of it was in danger of going to waste. Looking at one of the street people enjoying the hors d'oeuvres, another flash of inspiration came to the businessman. Call the homeless shelters, he told his assistant. Tell them to bring all their people down here for dinner. In the meantime, the guest who had purchased the new car happened to drive past the hotel on his way home. Feeling guilty, he decided to show up at the last minute because he'd been out driving around in his new car all day. He didn't have time to change into his tuxedo, but he thought, better late than never, When he first saw the ragged-looking crowd seated at the tables, he thought he had come to the wrong place. But then he saw the host standing in the corner and went over to him to make his presence known. Instead of being happy to see his guest, the host was angry. He called for security and had the guest ejected from the party. The host said, "'Not one of those who were invited.'" will get a taste of my banquet. Are you truly hungry? Are you thirsty for the kingdom of God? Please stand with me as you're able. I wanna read this from Matthew chapter five. We've been looking at the upside down invitation of Jesus to come, to be willing to be empty, to be willing to be broken to be willing to be hungry in order for God to do the filling. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Can you believe it? Blessed even are those who mourn. They're the ones that will be comforted and blessed are the meek. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of God of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. So where's your level of hunger today spiritually? It's a question I've been reflecting on in my own soul this whole week. Ken, you've come to the fourth beatitude. How hungry are you really? How hungry are we when circumstances are good or when circumstances are poor? What is it that we go about trying to fill our souls with? I've been watching animals eat this past week, thinking about this passage of Scripture. Of course, Jacob read from Psalm 42, as the deer panteth for the water, so thirsty that it's driven, it has to get there to the water. Well, I didn't see any deer drinking water, but I did see... Finches feeding outside my window. I've got a couple bird feeders there. Man, they are aggressive this week, I just have to say. There are five or six of them fighting for perches. And, and uh, spring is here, and, and they're hungry. <laughs> and they found these bird feeders outside of our window, and I love to watch them. And it was just such a peaceful thing for me to keep watching them and think about what Jesus said. Blessed are you if you're hungry. And are we going to the right place because I'm telling you, I paid a mint for that thistle seed. It's expensive now, did you know that? They made some regulations about sterilizing it and international things that have to do with not growing weeds and it's really expensive now and my birds love it. (laughs) They're hungry. The other animals that I saw feeding are my two dogs. They are pugs and if you know anything about the pug breed, They are always, always hungry, ravenous, one of them more than the other one, the bigger one versus the littler one. My dog sitter's over here. Yep, that's true. I've got another dog sitter. Oh, my. I can't go into the kitchen without him trying to trip me. I'm going down the hall. He cuts me off to go to the fridge. They eat carrots, if you don't know that. Baby carrots. These dogs go crazy. They do tricks for baby carrots. True story. We've always got baby carrots for our bugs. The vet said, go ahead and give it to them. It's healthy for them. Good for their teeth. They, they, it's negative calories for them. Right on. Carrots. He needs carrots. Believe me. And every time my dog tried to trip me going into the hallway this week, which happened a bunch of times, I asked myself, Am I headed to the source of my true food? Are you hungry for what only Jesus Christ can give you? So many people in this world are so dissatisfied with life. Mother Teresa, who of course served in Calcutta, India, she said that people in India are starving physically, people in America are starving emotionally and spiritually. We try to satisfy that craving for God in countless other ways and it's sort of like licking salt. It only makes us more thirsty in the end. I want to offer what I think are some lessons on finding true satisfaction that come to us from this very simple statement that Jesus made. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. I think one of the first things that needs to be said that maybe isn't self-evident to us without God telling us is simply this. We are not blessed by seeking after God's blessings. It's kind of the message of the Beatitudes. The harder we try to make ourselves happy, and makarios, blessed, means literally happy as well. You can interchange those words. I know there's a difference between happiness and joy. That's another sermon. Happy are you under the worst of life's circumstances. We don't find happiness. We don't find satisfaction. We don't find lasting joy. We don't find the fruit of the Spirit, peace and love and joy. We don't find all of those things by going after those things. Somebody said that happiness is like a wet fish. (laughs) The harder you tried to grab it, (laughs) the quicker it squirts away. We don't find it by pursuing it in and of itself. Instead, we're blessed by seeking after God's kingdom. And happiness, if you will, blessing comes as a byproduct of feeding our soul with the right things. There's an interesting progression, I think, in the Beatitudes. We're in the fourth Beatitude now, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And this one, if you will, is a more positive Beatitude than the first three. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. They'll get the righteousness that they are thirsty for. Implication, do you see that? What is it they want to be filled with? Well, they're hungry for righteousness. They're thirsty for for righteousness, it's something that is going to be given to them. In the first beatitude, we're blessed if we're poor in spirit, which really means we're bankrupt. We have no chance of filling our own tank. We know that God is our only source of help and hope. Blessed are the poor in spirit, causes us to confront ourselves on our pride. Blessed are those who mourn. We mourn over the fact that we're a prideful people that we are independent, that we like to do things ourselves rather than depend upon God. Blessed are the meek. Wow, is that challenging? (laughs) That is not within our human nature (laughs) to control our reactions. It's not within uh, the impulsiveness of of who we are as people. But blessed are those who understand all of those needs about themselves, who, who see those things about themselves. And who pursue, not fixing themselves, who pursue God. Because when you pursue him and his righteousness, all these other things are going to be added unto you that you are lacking in. You lack some self-control, join the club. You lack meekness, well, this is a tough world we live in and we're part of it. Anybody have fun driving around traffic this week after last week's sermon? I know I did. (laughs) Lord, I just told people to be meek. (laughs) Help me. (laughs) We're blessed when we seek God's kingdom. And then maybe this most obvious one, but I think it's the most important one. We must identify our hunger and our thirst. Does that seem basic to you? Preaching this passage is a bit of a problem to all of us because we know very little about hunger, don't we? I mean, for us, hunger is a big Mac attack, right? It's just something that we crave. It's not necessarily something that we need to survive. Those birds at the feeder, they're not after the hors d'oeuvres. They're simply getting protein to live. And we don't live on that level, by and large, am I right? If I say there's nothing to eat in the house, that doesn't mean there's nothing to eat in the house. That means there's nothing that I want to eat in the house. You have to begin to interpret that if you ever have teenagers. That's actually what they mean, is there's nothing that I want to eat in the house. And we're used to getting our wants with regard to what we consume. But actually, food is fuel. Food is not intended for fun, right? Right? I know you disagree with that. Teresa and I had a doctor tell us once that food is fuel. Food is not fun. And we're thinking, yeah, it is fun. You don't know. <laughs> but it's fuel. It's what we need. There's, it's, it's no coincidence that Jesus describes hunger and thirst. Because there's a lot of things you can live without. But you have to have both of those. He adds thirst because you can't go very long without drinking water. You're in big trouble even more so than food. So turn with me, check this out. Matthew chapter 22, if you have your Bible. And I want you to hear this parable. And I, and I want you to think about your level of desperation to accept God's invitation. Is it there? Jesus spoke to them again in parables. So he's talking all about the kingdom of heaven. And he said, the kingdom of heaven is like this. A king who prepared a wedding, it's like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who've been invited that I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come, to the wedding banquet. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like, Jesus says. But they paid no attention. And they went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, the ones delivering the engraved invitations, mistreated them, and even killed them. Of course, this is reference to old Testament prophets, right? That's what they did to prophets who were speaking the truth the king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servant went out to the streets and gathered all the people that they could find the bad as well as the good. Did you know the kingdom's for those who are hungry for righteousness? And the wedding hall was filled with guests. Why is it that we don't recognize a good invitation when we hear it? There are staggering statistics out there as to how many churches are closing every day in America. Go ahead, if you're online, Google it. It's scary. Why this spiritual lack of appetite? Could we call it that? Now, I remember when they opened Krispy Kreme on Eagle Road and Fairview here in Meridian. That was a long time ago, by the way. I don't know how many years ago. What was it, 15 years ago? And there was literally a group of people camped out in front of Krispy Kreme overnight. Why? Because the first day, everybody gets free donuts. And they were so excited. And that was on a Friday. And on Sunday, I was so excited because I was sure there was going to be people camped out in front of the doors at church. <laughs> and there wasn't. <laughs> there was plenty of pew space in here. As in so many, many, many other sanctuaries just like this at this very moment. What is it about human nature that hungers for things that will never satisfy what it is that's truly driving their soul, what it is that they really need? If we want to experience God's filling, God's blessing, we don't go after God's blessing. We go after the kingdom, but we're not even going to get that far if we don't first realize that we're hungry in the first place. Because we fill it with so much other stuff. And when I say our hunger and our thirst, know this, it's a hunger and thirst for something specific, for righteousness. I want to spend a few minutes then talking about what this actually might look like for you and me. I mean, how do you actually know if You are hungry and you are thirsty for righteousness. I want to give you a few answers to that question. You know it when you are aware of your own unrighteousness. This is a really important aspect of this beatitude. They are hungry and thirsty for something specifically. What is it? Righteousness. Boom. I mean, this had to be shocking for Jesus' hearers. Do you hear what Jesus is saying in this? God's favor rests on those who are not already righteous. I mean, in our own minds, don't we think of it this way? If I'm righteous enough, God's going to bless me. If I'm good enough, if I'm pleasing enough, if I work hard enough, if I volunteer enough, if I give enough, I'm going to get God's blessing. That's how we operate on the realm of our human nature. But righteousness is not the prerequisite. It is not the, it, yes, righteousness is not the prerequisite of God's blessing. That's stunning. We think that it should be. Righteousness is the blessing. What are they going to be filled with? new Toyota hybrids, new real estate acquisitions. No. They're going to be filled with the righteousness they're actually hungry for. That's what they're pursuing. God honors that pursuit. Righteousness is the blessing. Do you get it? We think of the blessing as being comfortable. And, and when we're afflicted instead, we wonder, what did I do wrong? Where's the justice in this world? And Jesus is saying, actually, actually you're blessed if you're empty. You're blessed if you're broken. You're blessed if you find yourself mourning. You're blessed if you're persecuted. You're blessed if you're hungry and you're thirsty and you're in want and you're a broken vessel, you're empty. And you know you can't put yourself back together. We have to identify that hunger and that thirst as the prerequisite before we're ever going to experience the meaningful fulfilling of the thirst that we really long for. How do you know if you're in this camp that Jesus describes? How do you know if you're one of these people that's going to be filled? How do you know if you're going to receive this blessing from Jesus? Well, one, you're a person who's highly aware of your unrighteousness. So when that invitation comes, you come running. So secondly, you know it if you don't have to be persuaded to come to the table. How many parents out there suddenly had flashbacks of memories? (laughs) I worked hard on this meal. (laughs) Get over here. You need to eat that. And then, of course, there's this parenting with love and logic thing that says you're not supposed to force them to eat, parents. Oh, come on. (laughs) We worked hard on this. (laughs) I get it. But there's truth in the love and logic thing, too, because they're not hungry. How do you know if you're really hungry? You don't have to be chummed to the table. Okay, okay, if you come to the table, you'll get extra TV time. No! If you're hungry, you come to the table. And I have to say, one of the most discouraging things about being a church leader is that you can't make a horse drink. You, you can lead a horse to water. You can't make him drink. There are so many good, wonderful ministry folks here, people who are ministering diligently with their gifts and their time and their energy, and they're putting together quality opportunities for fellowship, for growth, for teaching. That's why it was so good to see this whole train of kids following our our ministers who are out there right now with our kids because they work so hard. The ice-sculptured swans are ready for our kids in children's church, and somebody showed up. This is one of the hardest things about being a church leader is when there is no appetite. When you almost feel tempted to try to persuade someone to the banquet table. It's just wrong. You know you're hungry when you don't eat what's opposed to righteousness to righteousness. We had a pet goat when I was a kid. We let it in the house. We always let it in the house. We just grew up differently than you probably expect. Goats will eat anything. (laughs) They'll eat the newspaper if you leave it. They'll eat a tin can. They'll eat old socks. (laughs) They'll try to eat anything. But with sheep, that's not the case. In the words of a preacher in the 1600s, if you don't eat, you'll eventually die. But if you eat poison, you'll die a lot sooner. Satan is described in Scripture as our enemy, like a lion prowling to devour souls. There is a battle going on for the will and the soul of men and women and children in this world. And the deceitfulness of sin is that it seems attractive. Satan doesn't appear to us as this horned, ugly thing that you're afraid of. It appears to us as something that, well, by golly, we deserve. You know, I've tried this righteousness thing and it's no good. I've tried to be nice to people. I've tried to be meek, whatever. And I'm done. And he works his way in. <laughs> he spoils our appetites. Did your mom ever tell you that? Don't eat that cookie. It'll spoil your appetite. I figured, what do you mean? I thought eating, that was the point, was to spoil my appetite. I get it. Eat the right things. We have an enemy who is seeking to devour and that enemy is winning on so many fronts in this world right now. You have loved ones we are praying for because they've been deceived. They are being injured and hurt. They're being poisoned. So not only do we have to deal with the distraction of the Toyota dealership and and all these other things that... that that promise, fulfillment, satisfaction, and pleasure, and possessions, and accomplishment, and, and all these other things that we think are what we want, we also deal with things that are just downright deadly in this world. And addiction is on the rise. We're even legalizing gateways to addiction. It's just a soapbox. You can disagree with me on that one if you want to. But I have a brother who's no longer alive. Because he started with medical marijuana. It's legal in Oregon. And when I cleaned out his stuff, I found the stuff that he was selling. Had a guy come in at gunpoint at his house. I just want you to know, okay, that's a soapbox. I get tired of seeing the destruction of sin in this world. And it takes so many of our young people. Don't eat what's contrary to righteousness. How do you know if you're in this camp? Well, what I'm saying is, it's not that you are righteous. It's that you're hungry for it. And you know it. You're hungry for the right things. You're desperate. This is a bit of an aside, but, but I'm going to say it. In your spiritual life, you're going to have holy ground experiences and battleground experiences. Holy ground experiences are kind of fun. I mean, they're, they're, they're man, things are great. I mean, the blessings, I can feel God. It seems like no matter what I do, I see God in it and, and I'm on a spiritual high. Sometimes we get there at retreats, for example. They're mountain high experiences. They're holy ground experiences and thank God for them. We need it. We need encouragement. But I once heard someone say that, that your spiritual life really won't be defined by your holy ground experiences as much as it will by your battleground experiences. How do you do on the battleground when you're tempted? when you're facing the thing that will destroy you. How are you doing with that? Jesus said you're blessed if you're hungering and thirsting after the right things. You are the ones who will be filled. And by the way, what do you get filled with? The righteousness of God. I love that. Aren't we hungry to recapture the innocence that we gave away? Aren't our souls just just desiring to experience the connection with God that we know we severed by our rebellion? If you're hungry and thirsty for that, I have great news for you. You're invited, and, and it is an engraved invitation. It's engraved with the blood of God's own Son. He so did everything to prepare for us to come to the table. He died for us. How do you know if you're hungry and thirsty? Because I think the reason you're here, (laughs) the reason I'm here, is I want to be filled by God. I want the promise of this. I think just another practical way to know is that you are constantly thinking about the kingdom of God. You know, your mind's a tricky thing. It, it tells you more than you want it to tell you. What you find yourself thinking about in your spare time is your hunger. What, what you find yourself up at night worrying about. What, what you find yourself dwelling on in terms of the details as a planner, if you're like me. We tend to worship what we think about. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. In Psalm 42, the psalmist wrote, As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. But, but listen to more of it. That's the familiar part because you know the song. My soul thirsts for God, The living God, when can I go and meet with God? When does Krispy Kreme open? (laughs) These are words of a desperate person. My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? This is the experience of the Exodus believers, the, the uh, exile believers, wrong part of Old Testament history, the exiled people who've lost their land and lost their temple and lost all these things, and people make fun of them. Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy among the festive throng. I read this a few times during that lockdown experience. Meridian Friends didn't meet for 10 Sundays. And and I used to read this, I could go there, I'm so thirsty, I'm so hungry for worship with people. Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And it goes on and on, deep calls to deep. There's beautiful words in this. It's what you think about. It's what we choose to focus on. Well, the invitation's there for all of us. Are we going to focus on God's word this week? Are we going to make time for it? Are we hungry to get together with our small groups? and Pray for each other? Are we eager to serve with our gifts? Are we eager to do all those things that we know are in pursuit of Jesus I want to leave us with a few minutes into a time of open worship this incidentally is a time just for us here in-house so we're here in the sanctuary that camera has got people in the fellowship hall that are in person as well over here and by the way it sounds like we missed something fun over there today as Jacob gave the same pastor's prayer over there as to in here, Uh, with turning down the lights or something, Jacob will have to answer for the fellowship group. We're glad you're here worshiping with us. I just want you to know. If you're in the fellowship hall and you want to share during open worship, you can come and use this microphone. What I'm saying is this is in-house only, so we are streaming live, but we're about to mute the live stream. So if you want to share, you're not on the World Wide Web. You're just here with the folks That are here and for those who are online uh, we want to invite you to use this time to reflect to listen to the voice of God to you personally and individually and if God speaks to you something that he wants us all to hear instead of using the microphone right there we're going to invite you to use the comments that are online and we would like to hear how God is stirring and moving in your heart too we may use this time if you're not familiar with open worship in total silence and I have to say How refreshing. (laughs) We never get a chance just to be still and to be quiet. But if God is stirring you to speak, please be obedient and share with the rest of us as well. Either way, let's attend to Christ who is present and who welcomes us to his table today.